Hey, good morning. Good morning. For those of you on, on Zoom, I just want to say uh, we are going to close out our time together around the table, and we would like for you to participate in that with us. So if you want to make a mad dash to your kitchen to grab some bread and some type of juice or drink to use for communion, go ahead and do that. I'm not looking. Go. All right. Okay. Um, how many of you, uh, just, I'm just curious, and this is kind of a part confession on my part, how many of you were well into your adult years before you really knew what Lent was? Lent. Yeah, not Lent. How many of you know that there's a difference <laughs> between the spelling of Lent and Lent? Are we at least, okay, um, good, good point. Uh, yeah, it, you know, we, we approach Lent maybe in, uh, with different lenses depending on your upbringing, uh, maybe depending on what you've heard about Lent. Maybe this is your first time to hear about Lent. I grew up thinking that Lent was a Catholic thing. I grew up in a Protestant world, a very uh, conservative um, Baptist environment. And um, I had several friends that were Catholic and I remember hearing about Lent, but I just thought, okay, well, that's something they do and this is something that we do. Like, we don't drink and dance and really do anything fun. Um, no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> totally kidding. No, I, I just kind of thought there were some things that, that we did, some things that, and, um, I've come to really appreciate that, that Lent is not a Catholic thing. Uh, it's not a Protestant thing. It is a Christian opportunity for us. As we, we look at the Christian calendar, it's this uh, set time for us to remember. Um, well, it, it begins with Ash Wednesday, which is last Wednesday, and it's 40 days, not counting Sundays, that lead up to Holy Week and Easter. And it's in this, that number 40, that we are reminded of the significance of the number 40 in the Bible and how that applies to our own journey. Uh, we know that um, for 40 days and 40 nights, it rained on this earth and it flooded and Noah and his family uh, were protected in that flood in a boat. Uh, we know that for 40 years, Moses was on the backside of the wilderness, someone who grew up a very privileged life went through what was a very humbling experience before God called him to lead the people of Israel. For 40 years, the people wandered in the wilderness before crossing over into the promised land. And then Jesus, after he was baptized, was led by the Spirit immediately into the wilderness where for 40 days he fasted. And at the end of that 40 days, he was tempted by the enemy and overcame those, those temptations. So um, the the number 40 in the Bible represents a time of, of testing and trials, but a testing and trial that leads to growth and new life. And this is the part of Lent that I think we could, we could maybe forget about, but I don't want us to. I want us to hold on to this aspect of Lent, is that Lent is preparing us for new life. Lent, the word in English, is, is from a word that means springtime. If, if, those of, uh, if you have lived somewhere other than in beautiful California and you know what winter can be like with snow and ice and just you look out and it, it just everything looks so dead, then you know what it's like to hope for spring. And Lent is this time where we acknowledge the wilderness, the winter of life, but we trust that it's just a season and it's going to someday turn on that calendar to new life. 
So we have chosen, as, not just as a church, but as Christians, to follow a calendar that is based upon the rhythms of Christ's life. Uh, we will come back each year to key moments in the life of Christ and, and how that equates to the journey that Israel was on and the journey that we are invited into. And, and this is that special time in the calendar where we remember Lent. Now, there's a lot of calendars that you can base your life on, okay? Right now, the baseball calendar um, for Major League Baseball is kind of put on hold. There was a calendar set up for people to be in spring training and due to conflicts, right now everything's on hold. Some of the, some of the games have been delayed. Um, others of us, um, you know, Rebecca, you base probably a lot of your thinking on the school calendar year, naturally, okay? Um, Jamie, what is today? It's national what? Where'd she go? It's National Oreo Day. Now, wouldn't that be a great calendar event for us to celebrate today? Some of you are like, can we do away with Lent and maybe go with Oreo Day? Um, so there's a lot of things that we can kind of think about that we could set our, the rhythm of our life to. But one of the things that we are setting um, the rhythm of our life to is that um, uh, is one of those things is Lent and how we are promised a springtime in the midst of whatever wilderness that we find ourselves in. And again, um, not just thinking about the 40 and the wilderness, but what's on the other side. On the other side of those 40 days and 40 nights of rain was a, a new earth. God hit reset, and beautiful life began to emerge. On the other side of this shepherd being humbled by 40 years in the backside of the wilderness, became this incredible man of God who walked with God and saw God. On, on the other side of that 40 years of wandering in the wilderness came a new generation of people that experienced the promised land. And on the other side of 40 days of testing and fasting, Jesus began a ministry that offered new life to you and I. And so Yes, there is the 40 in the wilderness and the trials and the testings, but let's also keep our minds, our, our focus beyond that to, to what God is doing, doing in our lives. Um, on our website, if you go on the resources tab, there is a, a page for our lectionary readings. And these are, there are four readings per week um, leading up to Holy Week, and then there's four readings per day for each of the days of Holy Week. But I would encourage you to join us in reading these. these this is not something that um, your staff and elders came up with. This has been um, a part of readings for Christians for centuries. And so we are joining Christians around the globe in reading these passages that will help us better understand maybe the wilderness that we're in, but also give us the hope and preparation for Easter as we, as we approach that day. Um, the psalm reading for today, and if you go on our, on our website, it would say um, for March 6, it would give the four readings, and I encourage you to read up to that date. So Psalm 91 that we're going to look at today is, is listed on that, so starting tomorrow, you may want to look at what the four readings are for March 13th and begin reading, and we will be looking at the psalm passages each Sunday when we, when we gather together. It will give us kind of a common, uh, common touch point and discussion point. 
And so this psalm for this morning, it's Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2, and 9 through 16. Um, the, the verses 3 through 8 are not left out because they were deemed not as important. Um, it's just more from a thematic standpoint for what this, uh, this season of the calendar year is about. And what we see in this, in my, the way I read through this, this is a beautiful song, psalm, and it's also very troubling. And so I, before I read it, I just want us to understand that there might be some things in this that make you kind of tilt your head to the side and, wait a minute, what? Really? Uh, that's not been my experience, okay? But we enter into this knowing that there is a, there's a little bit of beauty and a little bit of trouble, um, but we're going to let those two things coexist. Um, so before we enter into it, before I begin to read through this, um, you just kind of say uh, in your own words, just a little prayer, um, God, open my heart that I can receive life from your word. Just in your own way, prepare your heart. Open yourself up to what God may want to say to you. It may be something that comes through this microphone. It may be something um, that I don't say, that the Spirit nudges you with. So, Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the things that are beautiful and compelling, but we also open ourselves up to what troubles us and the way that you um, will speak to us even in those times. Amen. Psalm 91.1, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Um, what Jane was talking about earlier was this sheltering wing as uh, that reference. This is kind of that picture here. It's a, it's a, uh, a rather uh, maternal way of viewing God, that he is, he is like um, a loving bird, a hen hovering over and extending a wing shadowing her young. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Verse 9, if you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up on their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I would say that if Psalm 91, um, if all of the Bible was just this, what we just read, there'd be a lot more Christians. There'd be a lot more people saying, I, yes, I believe in God. And we, these, the 16 verses of Psalm 91 are far from the whole picture of the Bible. Um, 
as I'm sure you know, we, we read this in view of the whole Scripture um, context that God has, has provided for us. And um, as we interpret it in light of the whole Bible, um, that's where some people are going to be like, yeah, this, is, this isn't quite what I signed up for. Um, we see a bigger picture because this kind of paints for us um, like, well, if we just kind of say the magic words, then poof, no more problems, no troubles, smooth, smooth sailing, which is a rather ironic term because to sail, you need wind, which always makes the waters rough. So I don't know what we're asking for with smooth sailing, um, but we get a picture in this that if you want to sail, there's going to be some rough waters. There's going to be some brisk winds that we're going to have to deal with. And so this is a, this is a difficult psalm to wrap a rational, uh, your temporary mindset understanding around. Um, verses 9 and 10, for example, they kind of present an if-then proposition. Like, if you do this, then God is going to do that. And uh, they kind of give the impression that, that God's kind of handing out favors to protect some people because they've figured out what to do. It's almost, and there's just something about it that feels like, wait a minute, that's, you know, that, that almost feels manipulative. Kind of like the person that catches the winning touchdown who all of a sudden wants to give glory to God for helping them. You know, like, really? Is that, is that how that happened? You gave glory to God and that's why... You know, was the whole other team just all a bunch of sinners? Why, why you and not them? And so it, it, there's just this, this uneasiness that I have when I, when I walk through this. If, if you are going through any kind of difficulty right now, then this is kind of probably poking at that and raising some questions for you. Wait a minute, I... I thought I was saying the right thing. I thought I was following the right God. And yet, and so this, this psalm has been thought of and interpreted throughout history in a variety of ways. Um, for many, uh, there were some people who did see this as a magic formula that would protect them from danger. And they actually wrote out portions of this, that kind of these promises, wrote it on a piece of paper, and then would put it in some type of a locket or an amulet and wear it as like a good luck charm. And that was their way of saying, hey, I'm, I'm claiming this, so God's got to do this. Um, and uh, another way that this was used is interesting. Um, did you realize that, that the devil quoted a part of Psalm 91? And, and the temptation account, when Jesus is in the wilderness... He says um, in Luke 4, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, and this is where he's quoting Psalm 91, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so it's, it's kind of like, um, what the psalmist is communicating is um, if you don't strike your, you will not strike your foot against a stone, you're going to tread on the lion and the cobra, you're going to have enemies, 
but you're going to conquer them. And so the idea of a, of a foot on this is it's kind of like saying you're going to conquer these things. Think Captain Morgan, okay, with this, with this stance, okay, where you, you whatever it is that is, is, um, that is your enemy. And so this is kind of evoking this, this picture of I am going to conquer whatever this is that's been haunting you. So there's this troubling, hard to reconcile aspect of this psalm, but then there are aspects of it that are, that are so beautiful and rich with promise. In verses one and two, there are four divine names used to describe God. Um, most high, almighty, Lord, and God. And most high is, uh, is a word, Elion in Hebrew, and it has to do with the possessor of heaven and earth. In other words, um, the Most High is, this is the God who owns everything. There is nothing that God is not over. Um, Almighty is the word Shaddai. And this is, this is interesting. It has a picture to, it, it points to provisions. He is a God who supplies all of your needs. Everything you need is provided in Shaddai. There is a root word in Shaddai, and it's the word breast. And the picture is, for a baby, everything that that baby needs for life is found in that breast milk of his or her mother. So God is saying, I am the one in whom you will find everything you need to be nourished in life. It reminds me of Psalm 131, where the, psalm, uh, where the psalmist writes, I will not worry myself or concern myself with matters that are too great for me, too wonderful for me. I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. God is almighty. We can experience the contentment of him providing everything for us. And then the, the word Lord is Jehovah. This is the, the sacred name that the people would not pronounce. They would not say the name Jehovah. It was spelled yod Hey vav Hey, But they revered this name so much that they would not say the name. It's the God who exists, the great I am, it's, the, it's, it's saying that nothing can thwart God from the promises and the covenant that he has made with his people. And then the final word is God, which in Hebrew is Elohim. And interestingly, this word is always mentioned in the plural. So it's a, it's a reminder of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Elohim, the three God um, existing, three persons existing in this one God and this is linked to creation. This goes back for the Hebrew people to that time of creation, that there is this, uh, these three persons that exist as one Elohim, and, and they're an all-powerful creator. So to kind of put those four words together, this psalm begins by saying this. How's this for just a beautiful promise? You can rest because he is like a caring mother providing all you need. You can have a bold trust in the all-powerful creator. No matter where you dwell, you can sit down and know you are sheltered anywhere. Why? Because everything is his. 
And with all confidence, you can say the great I am is my refuge. So that's how this psalm begins. It's a beautiful gift for us. And as we begin to kind of sink into that, um, it says in that, it says, he is my refuge and my fortress. How many of you as kids built a fort? Yeah. Jonathan, what was, what was your fort like? Was it inside or outside? Tree forts? Okay. Tree forts. Wow. Okay. Way to go. An underground fort? that was condemned (laughs) didn't pass code (laughs) yeah (laughs) cool somebody else what was your fort like that you that you built when you were a kid yeah mine pales in comparison to that but somebody else what was your fort like anybody have a fort that they would build inside the house yeah 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 me too wendy what was your fort like inside the house yeah yeah me, yeah, yeah, me too, yeah, yeah, spread a sheet out, you use books, I didn't, I wasn't big into reading, I just used my smaller siblings uh, to kind of hold the sheets in place, no, um, I remember uh, sometimes saving big boxes that my, you know, my parents would get something, and uh, it was a big box, so we would incorporate that into uh, the fort, but um, I remember draping um, a big sheet over the dining room table, and climbing underneath there, especially uh, with my brother, I don't think only one of us would fit at a time underneath the dining room table now. Um, but I remember those those forts, and I, I don't I don't want to get into like the psychology of all this, but I think the reason we were drawn to it is because when you entered into it, there was just this feeling of safety. Like this is a good place to be, and I'm I'm pretty sure that. Wendy, that somebody probably could have torn through that sheet or moved those books, you know. Um, but there was something in that that brought us a sense of safety and security. And so when we, when we go to the mighty God, when we go to the Almighty, to the Lord, to Elohim, um, He is a fortress for us. We go to Him because we desire security and safety and God guards us and I think this is an interesting part of this verse to help us understand kind of the troubling parts of it God is guarding us from danger or is God guarding us in the midst of the danger because there's a big difference here Um, it says he will call on me and I will answer him I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver him and honor him. And it's a reminder to me that although I wish trouble would never come my way, that I'm not alone in that trouble. That God himself enters into it. And we see that in a big way, the way God became one of us and entered in. So I see a world that's in trouble and I'm going to enter into that trouble and encounter the same troubles so that I can be with them. We can be assured of God's company in our troubles. This reminds me of, when I read this, it, it, 
it makes me think of a loving parent who has a young child that's sick and even from another room, that parent is always listening all night. If that, if that kid makes a sound that doesn't sound right, um, if the kid sounds sick, that mom, that dad is in that room in a heartbeat. Not because they think they can instantly take that sickness away, but there is just something about entering into that with their child. That loving parent can't just stay in their room. They must enter into that. When I would get sick as a kid, there's nothing worse than throwing up. Can I, am I right in that? It was just the worst. And the thing I remember as a young kid kneeling down in front of a toilet is my mom gently rubbing my back and she would get a washcloth and and place it on the back of my neck. And I don't think my mom thought, oh, this will keep him from ever throwing up again. And I don't even think as a kid, I was like, oh, cool, now I'm never gonna throw up again. It was just all about being reminded that my mom was there with me in it. We have a God who is there with us. When we were bent over, doubled over, the night is long. He is there with us. I wish I would never throw up again. (laughs) I wish the troubles would go away. But the the security comes from knowing that God enters into that with us. Um, And just to just to make this a little bit more concrete, just a reminder: it's it's not like just some mysterious God is with you. Um, sometimes God makes himself especially tan- tangible through the people around us. God, God visits us through meaningful friendships. That's why we do life together. Because we get to experience God through each other. We need each other, especially in those long nights. Especially when we read a psalm and it comes out a little bit more troubling than it does beautiful and life is more troubling than beautiful. But God wants to meet us through those people. And uh, the psalm wraps up with this in verse 16. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. And I'm reminded that in this, we count life by days and weeks and years. But that's not necessarily how God counts life. A, a long life is less about years and more about satisfaction and completion. By most standards, Jesus did not live a very long life. As best as we can tell, 33 years of age when he was crucified. Yet, His final words were, it is finished. It is complete. And I wonder if that's a little bit of what the psalmist is hinting at here, this long life. We can find satisfaction and completion. It doesn't matter how many days we get here on this earth, but we, in God's mysterious grace, can experience this sense of completion I have satisfied all the requirements for my purpose here on this earth. 
That's what we have when we can encounter God as our fortress. When we call on him as the mighty God, as Lord God Almighty. As we prepare for communion, I want to, I want to just simply read the blurb that uh, was included in this morning's email. It's the, it's the email that you look forward to all week and get up extra early. And at 6.14, you start looking at your clock saying, it's, it's going to be here at 6.15. Yeah. But if you happen to not get it, let me, let me just read this to you. Uh, just simply titled, Returning. I can't say that I hope to return to Italy. Not because I had a bad experience there, but because I've never been to Italy in the first place. Jane began by reading us uh, this passage in Isaiah 30. In returning and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength. Even if you've never turned to God before, you are invited to return to him. How can this be? I get why you might be confused how one can return to a God that they have not known before. Like I cannot return to a country I have never visited before. Or can I? To better understand this idea of returning to God, think of it this way. Could it be like someone in the United States, born in the United States, whose great-grandparents came here from, say, Italy? In that sense, even their first trip to Italy would be a form of returning. We enter this Christian season of Lent to scratch a spiritual itch, to satisfy a longing to return to God. Even if you've never encountered God, he is your source, and in his presence is your true homeland. Confession plays a big part not just in the season of Lent. This isn't something that we do because, okay, so for the next 40 days plus Sundays, we're just going to kind of get all of our confession out of us. That's what we're supposed to do here in the church. No, um, it plays a, a very irreplaceable role in helping us return to God. Remember, Lent leads to something, to new life. Confession leads us to God. In confession, don't think of it as a groveling, shame-filled hoop that you have to jump through. Confession is, is acknowledging our part in the wilderness that we have created. The wilderness that we've been wandering in, this difficult time of trial and temptation that in many ways we have contributed to. We make a confession with the hope-filled and forward-facing mindset to what lies ahead. Maybe for you, it's rain difficulties for 40 days and 40 nights. Confession pushes back the clouds, dries up floodwaters, and the sun begins to shine on a new second chance at life. Like Moses, confession can humble you for 40 years in preparation for a new calling and your higher purpose in life. Like the people of Israel, Confessing to our own slow-to-trust-in-God nature will precede our feet crossing over to a new life in God's kingdom. Confession is like coming face-to-face with the temptations of selfish cravings in order to find a new strength by feasting 
on God in the wilderness. And confession is acknowledging the bitter cold so that we more gratefully receive the springtime warmth and a budding trust in the resurrected Christ. So think of confession as this beautiful door that you can walk through. We take time each week to, the, to pay attention to the table. <laughs> um, in other words, for many of us, we return to this table every week. And it's our reminder, along with confession, Paul urges us to make ourselves right before God as a part of returning. And it's a reminder to us that through the sacrifice of Christ, we find that homeland that we were created for. So would you just take a moment, um, if it helps to close your eyes, just to focus a little bit. And you can do that. Think of this table as a place of returning. If you're on Zoom and you're at home, grab those communion elements. Think of this as an opportunity of returning. But even if this were your first time to take communion, even if this was your first time to approach this table, would you see this symbolic act as returning to the home that God has for you? Let me read this corporate prayer of confession followed by the assurance of forgiveness uh, from Psalm 103. O holy God, in the wrong we have done and in the good we have not done, we have sinned in ignorance, we have sinned in weakness, we have sinned through our own deliberate fault, and we are truly sorry. We repent and return to you. Forgive us and renew our lives through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then from Psalm 103, we read, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. When you are ready, um, return to the table. As I said, even if this is your first time, think of it as a returning.